Well, last week we started what I said would be a series of undetermined length uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, and I'm looking forward to continuing this week. Last week, I hope one of the key takeaways for us, you know, the Word of God is is uh, beneficial to all of us. Sometimes we read certain parts of the scripture, we wonder, I don't know exactly how that's going to help me, but in my mind, Deuteronomy has got so much for all of us. And last week, one of the main takeaways that I was hoping we would grasp a hold of is not just being a people of faith, but people of faith with a mission. We sometimes can get comfortable with where we're at as a people of faith, and we seem to act like we forget we're supposed to be a people on a mission. You know, when we talk about Israel, when we're reading about them, studying them, and looking at them in Deuteronomy, you know, they're God's chosen people. What does that mean? They're God's chosen people. Does that mean all of Israel was saved? No, it doesn't mean that at all. So what were they chosen for? What was their mission? And they were chosen to be His people to worship Him. And then to be an example to the world around them. You know, when you think about the promised land, we can get all caught up in the land of milk and honey and the promised land, but we need to realize all the people in that land and all the nations surrounding them were pagan to the core. Idolatry, child sacrifice, spiritist, mysticism. It was horrible. God's chosen people were called, one, to worship Him, and then, two, to go on mission to where they would enter the promised land and the way they lived their lives, the way they worshiped the one true God, would be a witness to the neighboring pagan people that their God truly is the God. You know, and we're called to no less of a mission. We are called by God. And by His grace we are saved through faith and believing what He offers us and what Jesus did on the cross. But then we're called to be on mission. You know, we, we go to the Great Commission and go into all the world and make disciples. That's great and it's true, it's biblical, it's scripture. But you and I are called to be a different, peculiar people. And if you don't know it, you should, that we are living with a lot of pagan people around us. And by pagan, I just mean they don't know the Lord. They are unsaved. And we are to live a lifestyle that shows that our God is the one true God. Our lifestyle should be a witness and testimony, not just the words we speak. And they're important. The words that come out of our mouth are important. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's coming out of our mouth, it's important. But the way we live our life is critical as being on a mission. I want to start my message this morning with one of my conclusions. So would you put up the last slide that I have? This is a quote from a man named Brennan Manning. Some of you may have heard of him. I'd encourage you to Google him and read a little about this guy's life. It's astounding. It wasn't perfect. He went through some major addiction issues. But when I read this quote, it should challenge us The greatest single cause of atheism. What's atheism? They don't believe, they deny that there's a God, that even God even exists. That's what a true atheist is. 
He says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what is simply, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That last phrase, it caught my attention. I, I had to read it many times. This is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Our lifestyle and our witness should be drawing them to Christ. This isn't a gospel, but I think there's so much truth in what he says. We can say a lot of things with our lips when we go out into the world and our lifestyle denies that God even exists. The unbelieving world looks at that and says, I don't believe this. The book of Deuteronomy and what we're studying these days should be reinforcing all of this in our own lives. It should be challenging us, but it should be encouraging us. Because there is a promise. And we'll look at some of that today. There was a promise for Israel at that time. There was a covenant. And we have a better covenant for us today. So now we'll go back to the beginning and see if we ever get to the end again. The title of the message, you can go ahead and go with that. Okay, thank you. The total series is a new beginning. Today, really, the, the, the message, the point that I really want to get across is we need to own. We need to take possession of all of those things that are ours by grace. In other words, God provided by grace so much for us through the atonement, through his death, burial, and resurrection. The Word of God, especially the New Testament, is filled with promises for us that we need to take ownership of. Why? Well, first of all, it would be an amazing blessing to us. Two, it will bring greater honor and glory to God. But three, it will be critical to us being on a mission that's going to do anything of eternal value and advance the kingdom of God. So earning and knowing, taking uh, ownership. So I'm going to start with a scripture in Deuteronomy 2, verse 14. And maybe all this will tie together eventually. It says this, 38 years passed from the time that we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley. By then, that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp. They died as the Lord had sworn to them. Deuteronomy begins with God's people, his chosen people, finally camped just across the Jordan River. Looking across the Jordan River, they'd have been able to see the beginning of the Promised Land. That's where the book begins. And Moses is going to go through and do a quick review. And if you remember from last week, Deuteronomy is basically a series of three big teachings or speeches, if you would, of Moses to this generation that's about to go into the promised land to encourage them, to prepare them, to challenge them, to remind them of all that took place before. And they're they're there camped. And they had been at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And we read this scripture last week. You know, when they came out of Egypt, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea followed all of the miraculous plagues in Egypt that caused Pharaoh to finally let them go. And they came to Mount Horeb and they camped there. For an extended period of time, they camped there. And eventually God is going to speak to them and say, we've been here long enough. It's time to get up and go. Now, it wasn't wasted time there, but they were in the wilderness, but it was a pretty nice, comfortable place to be. God was taking care of them. God was providing for them. They were experiencing freedom. They were no longer slaves. It was a comfortable place to be. 
God had given instructions, so they spent time working. God had told them how to build the tabernacle, so they spent time building the tabernacle. He explained how they were going to worship, so they spent time training, especially the Levitical priests, on how they're going to do all of the worship in this new tabernacle. And they spent a lot of time organizing. When they came out of Egypt, it was chaos. All of a sudden, you got millions of people coming together, gathering and going out, crossing the Red Sea. Now God had given instructions how they were supposed to set up the camp, where each family of the 12 tribes of Israel was to to, to build their camp. And there was structure put in place. All of this was taking place while they were around Mount Horeb. It was kind of like they'd been delivered. God had heard their prayers. He had rescued them and saved them. And they were getting comfortable. That same thing can happen to us as Christians. Truly, we should always be at peace. There should always be the joy of the Lord. But if you're comfortable in your faith, you're probably not walking in God's will. He wants us to be challenged. He wants us to be stepping out of our comfort zone. He wants us to be going forth boldly, knowing that he's in control, that he's in charge. And when they got there, it says it's time to leave. So they got and they went to, and we talked about this last week, Kadesh Barnea. So Kadesh Barnea was right at the southern border of the promised land. And they were ready to go in, but that's when the people said, you know, let's send in some spies. So they sent in the 12 spies. And we know the story. Ten of the spies had a very negative report. Yes, milk and honey, it's a wonderful place. Kala, the fertile land of crops, it's an amazing place. But the challenges are too big. The cities are huge and they're fortified with walls that go all the way up into the sky. Notice when you're afraid, you exaggerate a lot. We can't go there. We even saw the giants in the land. We saw the Anakites and we decided not to go. They didn't trust God. They refused to trust Him. And instead of walking into the promised land, the 11-day journey from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, instead of then just walking right into there and knowing that God said, I'll go before you, He'd been going before him in a cloud of fire and a cloud of, a uh, 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 pillar of fire and a pillar of clouds. He's been doing that for you. And he says, trust me. And they said, no thanks. So then they ended up walking around the desert another 38 years. So this whole time frame from the time of the Exodus to the time they're finally going to go into the promised land where this new generation of Israelites is camped right here. They're ready to go in. 40 years have passed. 40 years. I'm going to be repeating some of what I said last week, but I think we've got to get a hold of this concept. Forty years have passed. The people that had been alive of adult age, or they use the, the term of age to serve in the army. I want to read the scripture just to see where we're getting that from. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 3, it says, You and Aaron are to number by their divisions all the men in Israel, 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army. 20 years or more. So those 20-year-olds 20 20 would have been 18-year-old when they came out of, out of Egypt. Okay? They'd be 20 years old when they were standing in Kadesh Barnea. That 20-year-old and everybody older than them was going to die before they got into the Promised Land. Think about that. About that. 
And now 40 years later, when they get to the place where they're ready to cross the Jordan, the only ones over 58 years old are Joshua and Caleb and Moses. Moses is going to die pretty quick. If you were of the age 40 to 58, you would have been born when they were at Mount Horeb. But you probably won't remember much. That would have been the infants to the 18-year-olds. Granted, the 18-year-olds might have remembered. Not so much the rest. If you are over 40, or excuse me, over 58, I'm over 58. I'm over, way over 58. I'd be dead. I wouldn't, I would have been dead. If I was 59, I'd have been dead. So the people standing there, or camped there, getting ready to go across into the promised land, only the ones between 40 and 58 would have any memory whatsoever of being at Mount Horeb. All the rest of them would have been born in the desert. And they would have known nothing else except the desert. They would know nothing else except setting up tents. They would know nothing else except marching in the sand. They would know nothing else other than God providing for them manna and quail. They, that's it. And now God is saying, there's a promised land. And in their eyes, what were they thinking? Well, Moses was going to do some serious preparing for them before they go in. And I want you to notice, I'm going to read, and I'm just going to read these. These aren't going to be on the slides yet, and we'll be looking at the verses separately. But I'm going to read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And remember, as I read it, there's something that seems a little peculiar about this section of Scripture when I read it. Based on what I just said about this group of people. Notice how Moses speaks these words. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there, the giants. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you in your journey in fire by night and a cloud by day to search our place for you to camp, to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, the grumbling in your tents, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give you, give your forefathers. Why is Moses talking to them like this? Why is he pointing a finger, so to speak, and saying, you and you and you and you, you did this? If I was there, I'd be like, wait a minute, I wasn't born yet. This has nothing to do with me. Don't hold my grandfather's and my father's sin against me. And I don't believe that's what he's doing at all. God's not going to judge them for their father's or their grandfather's sins. So why is Moses talking like this? I think it's because he is trying to teach them to learn 
from their parents and grandparents, their forefathers' mistakes. Now, as I'm going to go through a lot of the next section of my message, I want to make one thing clear. I want to distinguish between two groups of people, believers and unbelievers. As believers, we have born again. We are new creatures in Christ. The old man has passed away. All things become new. But would you agree with me, we still have the capacity to make some really bad choices? Really bad choices. We can sin. Some doozies at times. But, as a believer, we have the Holy Spirit living in us that empowers us to make the right choices. We don't have to go down that road because the Holy Spirit will lead us on the road to holiness and righteousness. But then there's that other group of people, the unbelievers. The power of sin and death has not been broken in their lives. We can't hold unbelievers accountable like we can hold believers accountable. So when I'm looking at these things, there is something about the old sin nature that entered into man at the garden. An unbeliever really doesn't have much hope. But even though we're a new creature in Christ over here, I still have this capacity. You can call it what you want. I I, I don't want to get hung up on what it's called. But I know that I have the capacity to sin. And I'm pretty sure most of us do. So I want to look at this now as we go back and look at these scriptures. Because when I look at this, Moses, I believe, is encouraging them to learn from their parents. And I think it's I think he's making it really plain and simple to them. You know what? Everything that your parents faced and your grandparents faced, you're going to face. Promised land hasn't changed in these 40 years. The same people live there. They're just as evil as they always were. The cities are still there and the walls are still tall. Same thing. What are you going to do? Don't make the same mistakes that your parents made and your forefathers made. They need to overcome what their, their forefathers faced and did not overcome. They need to realize that there is a capacity in them, whether they're believers or unbelievers, there's a capacity in them to make the wrong choices. Just like their forefathers did. We need to remember again, their forefathers were God-chosen people. Their forefathers saw the Red Sea part and they went through it on dry land. They saw, their forefathers saw God provide food and water every day in the desert until they died. They even saw that their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out walking around for 40 years. And yet they didn't go into the promised land. What was it? What things were in them that caused them to go this direction? We're going to look at the verses that I just read and we're going to look at them individually. Starting in Deuteronomy 1.26. But you, you were unwilling to go. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You rebelled. Rebellion is in every one of us. The capacity, the potential to rebel is present in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit to empower us to submit and not rebel. But you know, rebellion is one of those weird things and, you know, not to stand and make a negative confession, but sometimes I kind of like my rebelliousness. I'm the only one. I doubt it. And we take it lightly. I joke about it. Here's what God says in First Samuel about rebellion. It is a sin of witchcraft. 
in the Lord's eyes. Now think about that for a second. I can stand over and say, sometimes I like my rebellious attitude. I didn't have the courage to say spirit. But I would never be foolish enough to participate in witchcraft. But yet God says rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. He's telling these people that your, your forefathers saw all these miracles and yet they rebelled against my word. Rebellion, the word rebel in the Hebrew is kind of interesting. It talks about the um, arguing with, debating with, if you would. It talks about how they knowingly and willingly disobey God. They knew what God had promised. And they did it anyway. One of the horrible things about rebellion, it insinuates that we know the right thing, but we choose to do our own thing anyway. The rebellious spirit in them. It's like there is almost a resentment towards God. I want to be in control of my life, God. I'm not going to let you. God, we saw the enemies in the land, and all the land's good, the enemies, no, we're not going in there. Rebelliousness. The next verse, verse 27, continues, you grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Think about that statement. Their escape, their, their freedom, their deliverance out of Egypt was this amazing miracle, this miraculous event that they all saw and witnessed in their own eyes. It was, a, it was by grace and grace alone. There was no way they could have got away. No way. And yet, what are they doing? They're treating God's grace with contempt. They're not just ignoring it. They're saying, he brought us out of here. He had a different agenda. He brought us out of Egypt where we at least had straw and mud so we could make bricks. And he brought us out here so we could die. He hates us. This isn't God. This is his chosen people acting this way, saying these words. Oftentimes, in our own lives, I'm, I'm convinced I'm guilty of this at times, we forget to praise God for all the good things he's done. But as soon as something bad or something even evil comes into our life, we blame Him. We blame Him. Really, it's, doing, it's, it's showing contempt towards God and all that He stands for, all that He is, and all that He promises. So they rebelled. They didn't trust Him. They showed contempt towards Him. Go to the next verse, verse 28. This is after the people have heard the negative report of the spies and God's not liked it. The response, he says, the people say, where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are and the cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Gee, we saw these giants. They were big. Obviously, they were way bigger than God. I mean, he's, he's divided the Red Sea. That's cool, but he isn't as big as the Anakites. These are the people that with their own eyes saw the miracles of God. Kind of puts a little damper on the thought that if I only see God do a miracle, then I'll believe in Him. Maybe not. Not for long. Notice they blamed somebody else. 
We have this capacity in us to blame others for our issues, our problems, even for what we've done and what we think. I would have never done that if. I would have never erupted in rage if you hadn't pushed all my buttons, so obviously it's your fault. It's just a coincidence I'm pointing that way. (laughs) Your fault. (laughs) But we're good at blaming others. We don't want to take responsibility for our own behavior. There's never going to be repentance unless we take responsibility for our own behavior. And without repentance, an unbeliever will never get saved. Without repentance, there's always going to be barriers between us as the Lord, even as believers. Our our Christian walk is one of confessing and, and receiving forgiveness and walking in intimacy with God. Blaming others won't work. Crying out it's the spy's fault did not impress God. Verse 29 through 31. Moses says, this is how I spoke to the people. God could see they were scared and so could I. So this is what I prophesied, the word of God to the people. You know, we always, God, Lord, just give me a word. Well, he, God gave him a word. And here's what happens. I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You saw it. And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. They were filled with fear, their forefathers, when they were at Kadesh Barnea. They'd heard the spies. You might remember from last week the grumbling in the tent thing. They were grumbling. They were going to stone Moses and Aaron. And God said, oh, no, no, no. Okay, that's enough. I've had it. They, they, they resisted the truth. Pure, flat-out resistance of the truth. If I only had a word from the Lord, here's the word. I will go before you. I will destroy the enemy. They're not a problem. I've proven to you for the last number of years when I set you free from Egypt, we went through the Red Sea. I've, I've, I've done all this. Not good enough. They rejected the truth of God. And the response is in verse 32. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. Now there is a difference between resisting the truth and not believing. I might know something's true and choose to resist it anyway. But there are things I just don't believe. So in one sense, it's not even resisting because I just don't believe yet. Here they're saying they refuse to believe. God spoke through Moses and said, in spite of all this, you didn't trust me. You didn't trust me. Fire during the night, the cloud by day, feeding you, taking care of you, and now you don't trust me. And Moses is saying, I believe to the people, I know this was your forefathers, but what was in them is in you. You're going to face the same challenges. You're going to face all the same things they faced. But you don't have to respond the same way. But the capacity is there to respond just like they did. Numbers 14.11, the Lord said to Moses, and it's a little bit clearer than Moses doing this summary in Deuteronomy, but in Numbers 14.11 says, How long, Moses, will these people treat me with such contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me in spite of all the miracles 
all the signs I have performed among them. How long? And then, going back to Deuteronomy in verse 34, when the Lord heard this, he heard what you said, the grumbling in their tents. He says, he was angry, angry, and he solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give their forefathers. In other words, because of your sin, you are alienated from God. You are deserving of my wrath. And the wrath of God is saying, not a single one of you, not a single one of you are going to live to go into the promised land. So there is that curse in the form of a promise from God that anybody here, 20 years old and older, except for Caleb, except for Joshua and Moses, are going to die here in the desert. Sounds pretty hopeless. By now, if you're one of those on the crowd, on the, on the, on the, on the side on the banks of the Jordan River and all excited about going in, you might be going, what the heck? How are we going to succeed? How is there any hope for us? Well, let me first tell you what doesn't work, okay? What doesn't work? You can find this in the uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting at verse 40. <clears throat> but as for, as for you, okay, so they've refused to go in, and now, now God speaks to them and says, As for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. And then the people replied, it's like a slap in the forehead, wow, did we blow this. They say this, we have sinned against the Lord, we will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on the weapons thinking it's going to be easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go to up and fight, because I will not be with you, you will be defeated in your, by your enemies. So I told you, but you wouldn't listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you, and they chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. And you came back, and you wept before the Lord. But he didn't even hear you. You know what? We can't do it in our own strength can't do it in our own strength. Whatever God is calling us to do, whatever mission He's giving us, we need to understand we can't do it in our own strength. Their response was, well, we blew it. Okay, we better go do it now. Well, there's a little bit of something positive in that attitude. But when then the Lord says, no, 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 don't go do it, I'm not going with you. If you go, you're on your own. This is going to be totally in your flesh if you think you're going to accomplish this without me. They went anyway. Well, do it in our own strength. Doesn't how it work? Didn't work then, and it won't work now. So how can they start over? How can they get a fresh start? How can they go in and be successful? Chapter five of Deuteronomy starts this way: Moses summoned all Israel and said, "Hear, O Israel, the decrees and the laws that I declare to you are hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them." The Lord our God made a covenant with you at Horeb. It was not with your fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with each one of us, with all of us who are here or alive today. So he's saying, you know that covenant? That was an amazing event, but it took place even before you were born, but it was for you. Here's a covenant, here's an event that took place before your birth, but it impacts you. 
He's saying this is where the hope is. Remember, God made a covenant with you. And His covenant was simply this. I will be your God and you will be my people if you obey the statutes that I'm laying out before you. I'll be your God and you will be my people. That's where their hope comes from. That's where the potential to succeed comes from. The promise of God. If God makes a promise, He's going to keep it. And in this case, He says, I'll do all of these things, you do these things. Personal responsibility along with the promise of God. It's a combination we see throughout Scripture. He says, there's hope. We can do this. I will be your God. You know, for us, there's two events that took place before you and I were born that impact us yet today. The first event took place in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into humanity. And the consequences of that sin are carried out through generation after generation after generation, even today there are still consequences to sin. Until a person, by grace, the gift of God, accepts salvation through Jesus Christ, we're still under the threat of death and the power of sin. An unbeliever, if there's an unbeliever listening here, you know what? You are still under the curse. All that there is for you, unless you accept the grace, by grace, the gift of grace by faith, you're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But even those of us who believe that event way back in the Garden of Eden has impacted us. Because even though we've been born again, we still have that capacity, that thing there that it's called free will. We can make the wrong choice. But we don't have to because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. There's no doubt that event way before we were born has impacted us. And then there's a greater event that's impacted every one of us. And that event took place on a hill called Calvary when Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood, died and was buried, and the third day rose again from the dead. There's a covenant for us, the new covenant for us. It's not a covenant that's written on stone tablets. It's a covenant that was sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood of Jesus. And it's for all who accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. But of course, before that ever happens, we have to own our past and realize we're sinners deserving of death until we accept that gift. So we kind of need to own that. But now as believers, as those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we need to take ownership of the grace that He's given us in so many areas of our life. We need to take ownership of the the promises that are ours because of that new covenant. We receive it by faith. We need to realize and understand who in the world we are in Christ. You and I are children of God if we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our sins have been forgiven if we've accepted Him as our Lord and Savior. He has promised He's never going to leave me nor forsake me no matter what once I become a new new believer in Jesus Christ. I have somebody who will love me unconditionally no matter how bad I mess up. 
because it's not conditional love. We need to take ownership of all of these gifts of grace that God has for us so that we are able to live out the Christian life in a way that He wants us to live it out. He died to save us, to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with Him, but He also died to send us on mission. And all we need to do is look around a little bit and we see how bad the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And you and I are those that He says, I saved you, I redeemed you, I purchased you by the blood of my Son so that you can go be that difference. And like Israel of old, going now into the promised land, it was still full of pagan people. He says, go in there and let them see how God's people live. Let them see how God's people speak. It should change everything about us. And I acknowledge before you that it's a process, but there should be change taking place. in Every single one of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. People stood on the Jordan River, on the banks of the Jordan River. By the time Moses gets through with these approximately seven days of instruction and encouragement, they had a choice to make. What are they going to do? Which way will they go? Who knows how much longer God had made them walk in the wilderness if they'd have turned him down again. They had a choice. Same type of choice we all have. God's new covenant for us, we accept the gift of grace, the gift of salvation by faith, and we are called to be on mission. Don't follow the forefathers and what they did, is what Moses was saying to them. For us, what are we going to do with this new promise we have as his children, empowered by the Holy Spirit? There's a term that I came across actually from a pastor who I'm using a lot of his outlines. His name is Colin Smith. And the term that caught my attention, he used this term in, when he was doing some teaching, and he says it was, the term was a Christian atheist. That caught my attention. I mean, that doesn't work. You're either a Christian or you're an atheist. But his whole point was kind of like we're going to get back to Brendan Manning's quote. His whole point in this, he says, a Christian atheist is a person who believes in God but lives and acts if he did not exist. You say you trust him, but you don't actually trust him in anything that's happening in your life. Christian atheist, interesting phrase. Lip service. They were God's chosen people, and they were proud that they could say that they were God's chosen people. They had seen all the miracles. But their lives didn't look any different. And even throughout their history and later on, those of you familiar with the Old Testament, they went back to idolatry, witchcraft. They went back over and over and over in future generations for the same thing that their forefathers did. Are we living like Christian atheists? I hope not. Can't or shouldn't claim to be a Christian and live like we're an atheist. 
in the words we speak that come out of our mouth, do they declare that you're a worshiper of Christ or not? Our behavior and what we do, does it demonstrate that we have a code that's written in our heart to love God with everything in us and to love our neighbor as ourself? Do we live our lives that way? I want to go back and put that quote of Brennan Manning's up there again. Greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. We cannot carry out the mission God saved us for if our lifestyle doesn't line up with what a Christian says they believe. That's our question. How are we going to live? What are we going to do? Are we going to be a people of faith or are we going to be people of faith with a mission? We need to be a people of faith with a mission. We need to be on that mission. And if you're camped at Mount Horeb and you're really comfortable, get ready. God's going to move you out of your comfort zone if he hasn't already. If you want to stay in your comfort zone, I would suggest you don't look into any electronic media of any kind. You might have a chance of staying comfortable. You can't keep your head in the sand. God's going to move us out. I believe 2021 is not anything special in a sense. It's a magic date on a calendar, but it is an opportunity for us to look and say, what can we do differently this year and then for the rest of our life? We're going to either give in to the capacity that's within each one of us to make wrong choices or we're going to live like Christ wants us. Let's close in prayer. The worship team wants to come forward. Father, I just thank you and praise you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit that you live and dwell in your, the children of God. Father, and I pray that, that you would breathe into each one of our very souls so that we could see all of our battles and see all of the tests and all the trials and all the temptations and struggles that we go through, that Jesus is on our side. God, that we would see and know and believe with our whole heart that Jesus is for us. He's not against us. That we would embrace Him and all that He has for us in such a way that everything we face today and every day, we would respond to it in a way that is a witness and a testimony to those around us. Father, your word tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? Father, I pray you would help us to live in such a way that we would be declaring to the world around us without saying a word that God is for us. Who can be against us? That we can find peace and the joy of the Lord in the midst of storms. Because the storms are here. They're going to increase as the end time comes to a conclusion whenever that might be Lord I just pray this morning that you would stir in each one of us that desire to go on mission be people on mission people of faith on a mission that we would be a church filled with faith and a mission that we might make a difference in our communities and our families wherever you might lead us 
ask this that you'd receive all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. If you're able to stand, I just invite you to stand and join in with this song.